You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update for the week of October 29th, 2018. All right, we are live. Hello, everybody. Happy day after Halloween. That's right. So we're recording this on Halloween. On Halloween. So happy Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween if this is dropped on Halloween, if, if it comes out after midnight. Happy All Saints Day for a large chunk of the world. That's right. That's right. We're actually going to be diving into a topic. First, I guess we should introduce ourselves. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Stevens, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And I am Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist for ACB. And this is the ACB Advocacy Update. Why? Because we have not had the time to go through all the emails and suggestions for a new name. And somehow it's just stuck. <laughs> somehow it has just stuck. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. No, does that work for, I don't know, I don't know. something like that. <laughs> uh, either way, um, welcome back to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. We're going to be uh, taking time today to share with you some information on some health-related issues yep. that are, in, in some ways, kind of directly or indirectly tied to the festivities that were just celebrated, if you're listening to this in a post-candy hangover. Yep. Uh, if you are like us and we're very disappointed, I've got two boys, a six and an eight-year-old, and so we loaded up on candy. Uh, we live in a row of row homes where every 13 feet there's a new row home in Baltimore. And so you literally, people just sit on their stoops and hand out candy tonight. See, I want to hand out candy, but nobody trick-or-treats in my apartment. In a condo. It's kind of hard to get yeah. through this gated security. Oh, or, I know. Yeah. I wanted that. Um, it's pretty cool because we all just sit on the stoop and 13 feet is the next person. And you literally just hold your bag open and it's like a kid's dream. That's awesome. Like people come from out of the neighborhood and maybe even from out of town just into our neighborhood. We're in just this old neighborhood in Baltimore it, yeah. that kind of has an old spooky feel to it anyways with all these old buildings that are done up. And, uh, and so, yeah, so Halloween is a big deal That's in, awesome. where we're at in Baltimore, which is exciting. So, but that being said, uh, man, it's a lot of pickings tonight of Butterfingers and Snickers and all kinds of things that we'll be trying to go through our kids and say, you know, you don't need 30 of these. I think I'll take 29 myself. And eat them yourself. That's right. Eat them myself as, as my sorrows swell. Um, and, <laughs> but that's kind of what we're going to be talking about yep. today. Around you know what has become one of the leading causes of blindness now in the United States and and, and internationally and internationally yeah. as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about diabetes today, not just diabetes and diabetic retinopathy, which is a cause of blindness yep. as a result of diabetes. But you know a lot of the the socio and economic struggles that exist within the community uh, and, and how that plays itself out when we talk about independence and, and being someone who is blind. Uh, what does it mean in the space of diabetes? Uh, and also, too, uh, in, in, this comes up as a, you know, a, another topic of conversation that's a sidebar, I think, in this. We got a, a letter, thank you letters, um, mm -hmm. of someone. Was it Jeremy? What was the person's name? I'm trying to think of the person's name. I don't have the email pulled up. But thank you for writing this letter and asking yes, to, yes, for yes, us yeah. to talk mm -hmm. about ethnocentrism. Yeah. And, and the need to talk about issues that impact, I think, when we talk about blindness, communities of color. Exactly. Um, different ethnic groups, races, et cetera. Exactly. Different ethnic groups and, and races. Now, a disclaimer. I am, I am Irish, American, Catholic, uh, straight up Caucasian, whatever yep. you want to call it. I, I uh, am German and Dutch and Irish, I, so I, I would say I'm the, as white like, as you can be. like Hades in the summertime. Yep. Um, and, and so we... Uh, you know, not do not have the personal ties to communities of color, uh, and I think it's fair to say uh, 
that that in no way what we'll be talking about today is is you know from from a personal experience which yeah. is deeply rooted in personal uh, you know and family and social constructs and systemic barriers that exist just because of the way someone looks or because of where they're from uh, and in this in this climate in today's country uh, you know uh, we are acutely aware and sensitive to uh, you know, at least Claire and I both, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of you, Claire, but I, I feel like it's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, that, that we do not, you know, we are not of the community and the best, the best leaders of any community are those people of it. But yeah, so, um, but that being said, my hope is that we can provide information and, and perspective and, and for those outside of, of communities of color to understand uh, that sometimes when we talk about blindness, it's not just about you know, making something accessible. It's not about a reasonable accommodation or getting something in Braille. But there are some major, huge structural barriers and societal barriers that exist out there. And I've been, I've, you know, have been fortunate to work, and kick me at some point, uh, Claire, because I, I will talk too much, as you know. <laughs> I, I would, but there's a, there's a, a desk here. A That's desk intentionally in why yeah. I put the desk in the way, so <laughs> she's not like, ow. But, so I, I, you know, some background in my own personal experience and, and you know, for talking about communities of color, particularly within the Hispanic Latinx community in the United States, uh, is, is a very special place in my own just sort of life. Uh, I, I lived in Mexico for a while. My father lived there. My father died there, a rather unfortunate death um, that was brought on by violence uh, 25 years ago next year, which is hard to think. It's wow. been 25 years yeah. since he died in Mexico. So, um, and, and it, it really is what launched me into social justice work, sort of a lot of the upheaval in the early 1990s in Mexico. And I'm mm talked about that the other week in the voters podcast you yeah. know and I, I have lived that personally uh, so much that you know um, my own father's gone as a result of, of the un unstableness at that time in Mexico yeah and and just to close the, the loop on that um, you know and it's 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 really sort of brought me to um, a respect and and an admiration for uh, the Hispanic community here in the United States yeah, and just to build on that, like Tony was saying, you know, he and I are Caucasian. At least that's what I identify as, and it sounds like you do too. Um, so just that's the difficulty because we can't see each other. So. That's your I. We've talked I about mean, it in public meetings. The awkwardness of being I don't. I don't are you? Know. I mean, your last name is Stevens, but that could be all kinds mm -hmm. of things. So who knows? Um, so yeah, just you know, if we say anything that you know we we word in inappropriately or incorrectly or we make assumptions we shouldn't or just anything like that you know we apologize in advance and we, we want to be respectful of all communities but, you know let us know we're we're learning and you know we want to make sure we're doing it right and you know addressing yeah. all these issues another thing i wanted to bring up is like tony was saying there's this idea we hear in the social justice community a lot lately which is called intersectionality that you know, we have people who are blind or visually impaired who are also Latinx, they're African American, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I am blind and I'm a woman. It's intersectionality that those two things, um, minority groups, intersect and have different implications than Tony, who is a male and blind. So there are different issues going on there. So intersectionality, which we'll talk a lot about today, is huge that you're not just one thing, you're many different things. Um, and they, they play in different ways, um, just depending on your ethnicity, your gender, your sexual orientation, your disability, your, where you grew up. Um, yeah. And we could go on and on and on and on. And, so. and what does this have to do with candy, you may say? Yes. Um, bringing it back Bringing it around. back home. Yeah. Because it is, this is, you know, kind of a long reconciliation, or, you know, um, in a sense of, of at the start. 
but it really is a situation where um, there are there are concerns that we have within the health community. We're going to be talking about some of the policy areas around this mm -hmm. later on. Um, but but talking about diabetes, and yes. for me, it's a, it's a personal issue. Not that I have diabetes; my blindness was not caused by diabetes. Um, but my grandfather, who other than my father, I mentioned that, that passed away, pretty much was like my father for many years of my life and my childhood, because um, I, I was raised in a in a broke a divorced family, single family. Um, but you know, he died from diabetes and died recognizing personally in our own family and seeing him uh, so many complications around the condition. Yeah. Uh, he, he had his toes removed and then his feet removed and then his legs removed. I mean, it was a slow, literally whittling away of one's dignity and pride painfully. And then heart and kidneys and all the other issues. And, and where it gets to the point where, uh, you know, we'll talk about blindness. And I, I know, Claire, you've done some research on the blindness side. Yeah. Um, and love to know more about that. But oftentimes... It's one of the lesser things that you have to deal with. And sometimes it's the biggest thing, but other times it's not the biggest thing as, as far as managing a condition that it, it afflicts a huge number of people in the world. Yeah. Um, so what do we know about the blindness side? So diabetes, we tend to hear um, diabetes type 2 is more commonly leads to blindness, but it's not just type 2. I have a friend who we met when we were getting our last guide dogs who had type 1. And so we'll use, Tony has already dropped the word, but the word we'll use a lot is diabetic retinopathy. Obviously, there's a lot of different things, like Tony was saying, about diabetes that can um, lead to amputation, that can affect your organs, things like that. But the thing we'll talk mostly about, because it has to do with blindness, and what we do is diabetic retinopathy, and that's what affects the retinas and leads to blindness. And, and so there was an interesting World Health Organization report a year or two ago where they announced one out of 10 people in the world have diabetes. Wow. That's a lot. And I think the stats I said, uh, I saw online, I should say, said it's the second um, leading cause of blindness internationally. So Internationally. And we know now in the United States, diabetic retinopathy is the leading cause of blindness for working age adults. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and so that's a big deal because, you know, you mentioned about the 40s and 50 year olds. And how many more years they got left to work? Yeah, they can have, you know, 20 plus to 15, you know, plus in the teens yeah. years. So, yeah. So, it, and, it, and it is, uh, you know, it's a condition that, <clears throat> this, this ties into the sort of intersectionality of, of blindness uh, that, is, that is unfortunately much more prominent in communities of color. Yeah. And what was the, did you get some data on that? Or? Yeah, I want to say I saw, and I apologize if I'm misstating the statistics, but I want to say I saw in the Latinx community, it was somewhere in the 80s percent of um, uh, persons with diabetes are in that community. Um, and I saw some statistics. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. Um, but there are a few different factors that uh, lead to such high numbers. Part of it is genetic um, just of whatever the the genetics play in that do lead to a higher percentage of persons in um, both the Latinx community and the African American community that lead to diabetes. Um, but even more so, it has to do with lifestyle, um, the access to healthy foods, because two of the most um, significant things that lead to diabetes as far as lifestyle have to do with your diet, um, the food you're taking in, and then exercise or lack thereof. Um, what were we, the word we were using yesterday was the food desert? Is that the term we were yeah, using? Yeah, the, the food desert. And, and when, I, when I lived up in New York City, I was working for a nonprofit that focused a lot on health policy issues. And it was, it was staggering when you looked at data about 
the food options that are available in, in very densely urban populations yeah. like the Bronx, which is heavily Puerto Rican and Domin we lived in a Dominican neighborhood that was like 98% Dominican. Um, and, and so, you know, you live in these neighborhoods and we're, we're astounded by uh, the, the data that showed you, you, you have hardly any access to fruit and fresh fruit and vegetables, yeah. fresh meats, you know, uh, and this, this, is, this was 10 years ago. They've been a lot of good advocates trying to change it. But if you were to take a map and visualize a map, if you could, um, or just think, think in your head about where's the nearest corner grocery store, um, it would be miles and miles away where you didn't have cars in urban settings, usually like Chicago, L.A., New York, where people rely on more mass transit, particularly in neighborhoods of lower socioeconomic, in Baltimore, where I live, Baltimore City. Um, we don't have a grocery store that's, that's walkable. We do have a market that's under construction right now, um, like a fresh market. But they're starting to put in that market like bars, like burger. You know, they're mm -hmm. completely redoing the market now, and instead of the fruit and vegetable stands all the way down, they're putting in a burger stand yeah. and like a fried chicken kimchi stand, you know, like these things. Uh, but even more so in like neighborhoods like the Bronx, McDonald's, yeah. it's like, you know, you can get to a McDonald's, three or four McDonald's before you get to a grocery store. Yeah, we see that a lot in Southeast D.C. I was listening to a, a story on NPR where they were calling parts of Southeast D.C. food deserts because, yeah, you have a McDonald's or you know, whatever fast food lo locations, but that's not going to, you know, get you the, the nutrients that yeah. you need. Um, no. What was that documentary, Supersize Me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. With the guy, like, what, 30 years, uh, 30 days of, of McDonald's, and just, like, his system was shutting down. Like it's... I heard a, a story most recently that um, home, individuals who are homeless or low, living on very low incomes um, really like to take advantage of the one dollar menu at McDonald's right now. Yeah, which is you know of course you're like oh great they French can fries and food, chicken nuggets and no it is they're not gonna you know be healthy at all. Because I remember of that, so when I was I was um, living in New York City right after nine eleven uh, and had very limited income. You know I was sort of doing the monk gig in those days, but um, you know had like a little bit of an allowance. Uh, but I, I didn't have transportation or anything. I couldn't afford at that time a, uh, a, a like even a monthly bus pass. Um, but I remember walking across the bridge uh, into Manhattan to go to McDonald's because I got some money and yeah. like bought a Big Mac. And I was like, this is it. Like I'm living the living life. Living the life. And I got so sick. But it was just like, you know, it's sort of seen as like a, uh, ooh, this is like going out to eat too. It's like this. You know, that's a great another example of intersectionality because the in these food deserts you know foods already not easy to get to but then you add the additional layer of disability if you don't have money for paratransit or you know yeah. transportation period you're gonna really go to where you can walk to yeah. so that adds a whole other level of you know in access no yeah i mean I, I you know and it's and it and the reality is it's fast food is super efficient so it's affordable yeah but it is huge calories and they always ask you do you want to biggie size that yeah. you know it's only 30 cents more or whatever and, and what do they call them empty calories in my nutrition empty they call cal yeah, empty calories yeah yeah so and that that is a huge factor in in diabetes yeah. you know the nutrition and and at least i can think well i walked there because i yeah. couldn't afford public <laughs> transit so i i was you know thin but i'm sure my cholesterol was horrible in the, yeah. that year but but it is you know and, and that's you you mentioned it a minute ago about uh, a few minutes ago about blindness uh, makes us hard enough to kind of be physical and to keep up our, our health 
you know, and and to be able to be independent yeah. uh, is difficult, it which is. makes us lethargic. You know, we, we there's a lot of folks in our community that unfortunately haven't maybe had the training to be independent or the confidence to get back out and, and get physically active again. Uh, and, and, and you gain on weight. It's, yeah. it's simple math. I've tried to lose weight. I'm, I'm in no way super slim, you know, middle-ager. I, I, I could lose 20 pounds right now, and it's, it's hard. Yeah, it is. But because we're not that, it's, it's hard to be, I can't go running. I can't go jogging. Yeah. I could try, but I'd get eight feet and hurt myself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, what, what, how is, you think, as far as the, um, talking, going back to intersectionality, what are some of the ways you think that we can work to try to um, better outreach to this community? Because I know my experience when we were doing health policy and the issues is it's a population that doesn't always have a voice. Yeah, for sure. Um, any thoughts on, on helping amplify the, the voice or concerns? Uh, you know, because I know, I know we, uh, as an organization, um, you know, are wanting to try to engage more We've had some success in the diabetes community. We'll talk about this in just a few minutes yeah. with some of the, the success we've had. But what are some ways that, that we could get engaged with, um, you know, bridging the diabetes and the, and the communities uh, that, that need to, you know, I feel like we need to reach out to that maybe don't feel like they have a voice or don't even know about us? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of that is just, again, intersectionality, so reaching out to those communities, period. Um, just trying to reach out, reach out to different um, socioeconomic groups, racial groups. Um, I know something which could be a whole other topic we see, and I've heard this in not just ACB, but other groups that um, even within advocacy groups, we see it pretty whitewashed, you know. Even groups, or leaders, I should say, in minority groups, still at this point tend to be, you know, Caucasian men. Sorry, Tony. Um, so That's trying right. to get more, you know, involvement even in minority advocacy groups of people of different races, of different genders, of different, you know, X, Y, Z could be all kinds of things. So yeah. trying to even just get involved in our own community of different groups. I, I think it's great. And in, 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 in outreaching to groups, um, you know, we have we have our affiliate, Diabetics in Action. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and they... Uh, Shout out uh, to people like Chris Gray. Yeah, yeah Chris Gray and Dee, the, the president of, of Diabetics in Action. You know, they are they have a meeting at our convention every year. Um, if, if, you know... We, we tend to have a lot of our affiliates are majority state affiliates, um, but we have the special interest affiliates. And I think it would be good for folks to know that if there's people in your community um, that are also part of the state affiliate, to get them involved with some of the special interest affiliates that could yeah. be just as valuable for them, if not more valuable. Because, and this gets into the policy conversation, one of the issues we really face in the diabetic community is accessible, durable medical goods. Huge. How do we... How do we manage our health condition once we're diagnosed with diabetes? Yeah, I am. Um, like I had said earlier, I have a friend that I met when we got our last guide dogs years ago. Who he has extreme diabetes. He literally from you know birth, um, one of the most severe cases I've ever heard of diabetes. And I remember asking him, "How do you check your blood sugar? How do you do all this? You know, in this." not so accessible world and kind of learning from him and you know he still struggles with you know he's very diligent he's you know really on top of it but even still trying to understand how he uses the different equipment and that kind of stuff so, so yeah it's a world I don't know much about but to kind of learn the the tricks of the trade so to speak that people use to do it and um, like Tony was saying a lot of the durable medical equipment still isn't accessible 
No, totally. And and I think it's important to, again, you know, there are ways to, you know, like Diabetics in Action is a resource. Um, there's a number of, of other peer groups. And one of the things we're working to do at ACB is, is reaching out to some of these other peer groups because we recognize the challenge with accessible devices. And we, we actually had some success this past summer. Uh, there was some, some concern going around in, in our ACB lists around a product by a company called Dexcom. And Dexcom is a major pharmaceutical manufacturer for diabetes you know, testing equipment. The, the glucose, they have something called a continuous glu glu glucose glucometer. glucometer. I, I can't yeah. say it right. Yep. Um, Spit it uh, out. GCM. <laughs> and, and what it does is it constantly sort of checks your, your levels, right? Yeah. And so you're able to, in a sense, manage instantly. It's a huge progress for the blind community because traditionally you know my grandfather he always had to prick his finger prick and bleed it, yeah. on the little strip and you know the the accessible readers for those is, is challenging you got to get it right it's like i put it up there with the e-bill currency readers yeah. it's not my favorite i don't carry one of those so i would be very hard pressed if i did have diabetes to, to to live that life of trying to constantly do that it's it's hard right yeah and and in that sense these GCMs are, are an excellent opportunity. And what Dexcom had was an app that was an accessible app for an iPhone, mm -hmm. but Medicare had a policy in place for you know the past 18 months or so, up until recently, that, that, that basically said, you can't use, we will not, Medicare will not pay for this product. That is a huge breakthrough for the blindness community in that it was accessible with an app, right? You needed to be able to afford a smartphone, but they're pretty affordable now. And there's other companies that are in process of creating apps similar to that. There's another yeah. major pharmaceutical company um, that's created something similar, and they're waiting on an FDA approval for an app as well. But Medicare said, no, we're not paying for it. And they actually had someone reach out to us that had to sign an affidavit every month saying they weren't using their iPhone with their Dexcom, yeah. which was insane. So thanks not so much to the blindness community that reached out to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and we were getting involved in this about the same time all this was going on, was the families. And going back to my friend again, she got the Dexcom for her son because she's she had to quit her job. Not mm. quit her job, but just take a leave of absence from yeah. her job and be at home to monitor his health all the time. The Dexcom allows you with the smartphone to basically monitor remotely. So people that have children with type 1 diabetes are capable now to know just if their kid's in school during the day or at the nursery can look at their phone and know exactly how their how their kids doing. Yeah. And and if there needs to be intervention and, and you know at lunchtime they can look at it before lunch and after they know the scheduled lunch times and things like that. So yeah. It's and a and the families were the ones that helped push it over the line. So finding allies when we talk about like diabetics in action and our other advocacy groups, finding allies out there intersectionality. Intersectionality. Uh, you know. Huge, yeah. Yeah, and again, just like Tony said, that's been a success, and so it's so exciting to hear. But just to kind of highlight that again, smartphones, amazing. I live with mine. I use it for everything because there are so many accessible apps out there, and it's opened the door to all kinds of things. But if you, you know, are a lower socioeconomic person, can you afford a smartphone? Can you maintain a smartphone? Do you have access to a smartphone? You know, so just kind of remembering that you know, not everybody's the same. I've heard so many times with solutions, oh, well, if you just use X, Y, or Z, and I have to remind them, not everybody has the money. Um, we talked to the older community, and the older community says, well, I don't know how to use a smartphone. What's that? So there are so many different variables we have to keep in mind as well. Yeah. So, you know, Halloween, how does all this tie into Halloween? 
Handy. Handy. <laughs> so, you know, it, as as uh, as great as all those bags were, if you're like like me with kids, or or if you're like a lot of people that were wishing there, man, there were a lot of kids I wish came by because I bought all this candy and nobody knocked on my door. Um, or if you're like you, Claire, where you have nobody knocking on your door anyways, but you still... You know, I, I love the kids. I don't know if you have a secret stash, maybe. Maybe. Uh, just wishing. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know. Yeah. If, nothing wrong with that if you do, but just be careful because <laughs> those ca- that sugar matters, you know. My sister actually works. Shout out to my twin sister. Hi, Kate. Um, she works <laughs> for a nonprofit that help kids. Shout out to Children's Bureau. And they part of their um, mission is to promote... Uh, uh, healthy lifestyles for kids so they're doing uh, trick-or-treating in their office but instead of candy they give out things like stickers and uh, uh, those kind of pencils and kinds of things like that so I thought that was cool I liked that yeah, idea no, totally <laughs> so you know think of think of ways that you know what is it there was a, a, a donation program uh, I think for for this that I saw so uh, where you can send your candy somewhere Oh. Um, I know my, my kid's got uh, his homework for Wednesday tonight is to bring some candy on Thursday okay. to donate to his teacher. And I think okay. his teacher's going to give it to some folks. Okay. Um, and, and to also give a piece to another kid in case kids didn't get candy. Because kids still get to be kids. Yeah. If they have diabetes, they got to manage it. But, yeah. you know, we don't need to lock ourselves in a... In a in our own desert of of there are of things pleasure. like sugarless candy yeah. too and getting creative. But just so, yeah. manage it. Don't yeah. go crazy. Yeah. And 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 if if you are someone who's blind from diabetic retinopathy, um, you know, reach out to Diabetics in Action if you're already not a member of that affiliate. Consider it because they have excellent resources as far as ways to, uh, you know, find out what accessible things are out there. Uh, peer support and, and other things like that. They know way better yeah. than Tony and I. They, know, they are. So, they are. Yeah. They are experts in it. Yeah. Um, if, if, you know, if, if you're finding yourself faced with, uh, you know, you're blind now and, and, you know, there are folks out there, uh, physical fitness groups, uh, I've joined a sailing, which isn't the most physical activity, but it gets me outside. But I know in DC, they've got the dragon boat, um, yeah. goalball teams. Yeah. You know, DC has its very own, um, blind accessible sports group and they do all yeah. kinds of things. So uh, contact me and I can get you connected with Carla and Justin who run it and they do all kinds of sports. And there's so, the U.S. Yeah. Association of Blind Athletes yep. in Colorado Springs that has a lot of good programs and information. I think it's usava.org is their website. Um, you know, these are all ways to, to remind us that, you know, just because we're blind doesn't mean we just need to sit around all day. Yeah. Um, being, being out there and being healthy will help us live with our own blindness, di- diabetes or, or not diabetic induced. Um, and and to, to live a life so that we don't have to, to find ourselves, uh, you know, with, in the higher incidence rates as people having diabetes because of our own lifestyles uh, and trying to be independent and the challenges that come with that. For sure, yeah. So, but that's, that's what we've got this week, I guess, as far as advocacy tips, you know. Yeah. Uh, be healthy. Be, yeah. be more mobile. It doesn't need to be January 1st for us to tell you this. November 1st, um, you know, All Saints Day, uh, the day after, El Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Uh, you know, speaking of, of the Hispanic community, a huge holiday. Um, let's let's um, you know not put ourselves amongst those ranks because of our lifestyle choices. Yeah, for um, sure. And and just managing our conditions well. Yeah. Um, if it's diabetes or anything else, uh, you know, we're going to continue to fight for accessible, durable medical goods. Yep. You might have that come up as one of the issues in in the 2019. 116th Congress. We've had conversations around that and trying to engage more in the diabetic space for accessibility. Uh, we look forward to working with Diabetics in Action. Yes. 
And if you got any questions, forward them to us, advocacy at acb.org, and we'll forward them on to uh, you know, the folks at, at DAA, Diabetics in Action, and, and other experts we come in contact with here in DC. Yeah, if you have any issues, you know, getting your equipment, using your equipment, you know, any state issues, you know, not not getting access to the things you need, let us know, please. Yeah, and, and in the meantime, what do we always say? Keep advocating. Right on. Thanks, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. You've been listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. For questions or comments, email advocacy at acb.org. Learn more about the American Council of the Blind by visiting our website at www.acb.org.